Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, May 25th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We're going to talk NHL playoffs. We'll chat about the Charles Schwab Challenge at Colonial, this week's PGA Tour event, and take a look at some racing for this weekend. Brian with a few thoughts on the Indy 500 coming up on Sunday. And then also we have the NASCAR Coca-Cola 600 in the evening down at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Over at ATS.io, lots of great stuff going on for you to check out. We're previewing MLB with my daily article and also some game preview stuff, previewing the WNBA as well, NBA and NHL playoffs. I got a golf preview up for you for that Charles Schwab Challenge coming up here this week. I'll have a UFC preview for you, do a NASCAR Coca-Cola 600 preview. Lots of stuff going on over at the website for you to check out. Make sure you tune into the Betters Box Mondays and Thursdays here on ATS Radio. That's my MLB betting podcast. And finally, download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. It's a bet tracker, an odd screen, a stats database. You track my picks in there under my name, Skating Tripods. Make sure you download that ATS app today. With that, we bring on today's guest, and that is Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, how's it going today, man? It's going, Adam. It's uh, We were talking before we started. It's unbelievable uh, how much is going on right now. And, you know, everything kind of got moved back, clearly. And it's heading the right way with fans and all that good stuff. But we're sitting here staring at, uh, you know, the Stanley Cup playoffs started late. And May's just turned into a gong show with all the stuff that's going on. Yeah, definitely a lot of stuff going on, to be sure. And, and right now, my primary focus remains on the baseball side, doing the daily article and all that, but still following the NHL playoffs closely as well. And, Brian, two series in the books here so far. Winnipeg sweeps Edmonton. Maybe a little bit of a surprise for some people out there. Colorado sweeping St. Louis, not really a, a surprise at all whatsoever. But we got a lot of interesting stuff to talk about here with regards to the NHL playoffs. And Let's start with those two series that have been completed already, where now if you're Winnipeg, obviously you're happy to advance, and they do so in triple overtime last night. But now you get to wait around a little bit for the completion of that Toronto-Montreal series. And the same thing now for Colorado, where they just kind of sit around and wait and see who wins this Minnesota and Vegas series. Yeah, no, actually I had Winnipeg in that series. I, I Not a sweep. Uh, I just thought, Edmonton's Edmonton, and they, they did exactly what they're accustomed to doing. They're just really beyond ordinary in their own end of the rink, as is Winnipeg. But Winnipeg had Hellebuck, and it's a second series, series season rather. And Winnipeg with Shifley and Wheeler and Ellers was out and then came back in, and they had more than enough firepower to do some damage offensively. It came down to goaltending. And the, the crazy thing is, how many heart trophies will Connor McDavid end up with when it's all said and done, but not much accomplished in the playoffs? And in many respects, that's how guys are judged down the road. So there's a lot of soul-searching and questions going on in Edmonton. And you wonder if, you know, he may not be getting to the point kind of like Jack Eichel in Buffalo where he's getting sick of this and wants a little bit of help. And, you know, how, how long does he stay a happy camper? Yeah, and when you look at that series, when you look specifically at five-on-five five here 
11.27 expected goals for for the Oilers at five on five, second only to the Bruins, who beat the Capitals in five games. So Edmonton did carry the play at five on five, did have the higher quality scoring chances, but Hellebuck was the difference. And that's what happens here in these playoff series. You know, a goaltender can very much not only steal you a game or two, but just steal you the series completely. And not to say that Winnipeg was bad per se, but Hellebuck is the reason that they're advancing. And now you sort of wonder how they'll stack up against the winner of that Toronto-Montreal series. I think they'll be fine. I really do. I I thought Toronto would get by Montreal, but I thought it was a lot closer than people were going to give credence to. In fact, I think Montreal's pretty live here, plus $1.60 in game uh, four tonight. I, I think Toronto probably gets through this, but I would look for a big effort from Montreal tonight. And they've got Price, and Price can, again, the goaltender can be the great equalizer. So Winnipeg has an opportunity. I I think the North, some of these divisions, I think the North and the West specifically were just so top-heavy that now you get to the playoffs and you got to start all over. I mean, you're not sitting there, you know, going 7-1 and against a team in your division or 8-0 against the team in your division. I mean, now anybody that made it this far is capable of playing really good hockey. So, to me, you throw out the regular season. I mean, look at Carolina Nashville. I mean, Carolina, I think, is a terrific hockey team. How about Nashville? You know, no pressure. They used to have expectations all the time. Never fulfilled them. They had to fight their way in. There you go, right? The danger. We always talk about an 8-seed can beat a 1. That's not the format this year. But you got a 4-seed you know, taking on the one seed and and pushing them to the max here. So as I mentioned, Colorado with that sweep over St. Louis, and no matter what, this series between Minnesota and Vegas will be done on Friday. Game seven would be Friday if it's needed. Cam Talbot pretty much stealing last night's game for Minnesota to extend the series. So with that in mind, as I said, Minnesota-Vegas will end by Friday no matter what. That series will begin before you and I reconvene on next Tuesday's show. So your thoughts on what you've seen from Vegas and from Minnesota here and how either one of those teams stack up against Colorado. Well, on our Vegas hockey hotline show yesterday, Stevie Slapshot and I both probably didn't make any friends around here. We both thought Minnesota was going to win last night. And sure enough, they did. And Talbot was really good. And, but you, you know, you wake up and you're, and I don't know, you know, I did a hockey watch party last night in, in, in the, out at Sunset Station, which was great, by the way, to see people you hadn't seen in excess of a year. But Vegas throws the sink at him from a shots-on-goal perspective. But I think from afar, you know, you read a box score in this Vegas team. Oh, they killed him, and the goalie stole the game. And, it, and, and it's like, this is what they do. This is the bubble all over again. Oh, yeah, they were playing the, the Canucks. and Oh, Demko was great. Oh, yeah, put it in the net. You know, a lot of these shots are from the outside. Minnesota crashes the net. They're living in Flurry's Grill. Part of that was Minnesota built a 3-1 lead, and Minnesota then made the mistake of sitting back and starting to protect the lead. So that was, I think, one of the big reasons why 
the shots were like 22 to one in the second. And yeah, they, they maybe deserved a better fate, but a lot of these shots Talbot saw a lot of the shots were from long range and Minnesota doesn't have an ounce of quit in them. I mean, the thing was they played two great games in Vegas and then they went home and they fell prey to what all these teams do. And to a degree, maybe Vegas did the same thing last night. You go on the, in, in the regular season, you see it happen. Team goes on a road trip. They go four and one on the road trip. They're playing a smart, simple, smart road game off the glass and out, you know, dump it in, win battles and do all the little things. Then they come home and then they start trying all the tic-tac-toe fancy passes for highlight reel stuff to impress the fans. And they, they try to do to a degree too much and get too fancy when they're home. As I, I really thought Minnesota was going to get that win last night. Minnesota did the same thing after playing two great road games in Vegas to start the series. They went home. They had a, th- a th- two nothing lead that became three nothing. And then the goal was disallowed because it was offside and Minnesota imploded. They just stopped doing everything they were doing. Uh, it's like they got fancy. They panicked. Then they started sitting back. They were a mess. The best thing happened to them was to come to Vegas. They got back to playing their game last night. If they learn the lesson and play a smart, simple game at home, I think this is going seven. Well, that's what I was just going to ask you here. Vegas in the minus 130, minus 135 range for Wednesday night's game. Are you going to bet on Minnesota or you just think that, you know, maybe the Wild do force a game seven here? Well, no, I mean, I liked them to win in Vegas last night. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 there's not an ounce of quit in these guys. They're, they're, and in Vegas, can it, Vegas gets going in the second period. It's amazing the, how the game, the inner workings of the game. In the first period, it, it's pr- pretty even, or the other team maybe can jump on them. Vegas is so dangerous in the second period. And they can't employ they can't employ different strategies throughout the course of the game. It's beyond belief to me. In the second period, with the long change, they utilize the stretch passes and the open ice. There's more open ice in the second period, so teams throttling it down, and they they bottle you up, and they're controlling the neutral zone, and they're containing Vegas. But in the second period, when you have the long change and the defensemen have to come off the ice while plays moving forward, Vegas is really great at stretch passes and opening the ice in the second period specifically. And that's what happened last night. That This was Vegas in the second period just knows how to open the ice. Uh, the, the, only, the concern with Vegas, they've got the goalies, they've, they've got all these good things. At the end of the day, they've got to put the puck in the net. And they thought they exercised demons. They put three by Talbot in game two, and then... They ended up with five. Four, one was an empty netter. But then they came home last night, and again, tons of shots, but stuff that the goalie can stop. So everybody, the thing is, everybody's waiting. Colorado, Vegas, Colorado, Vegas. It, okay, we've been waiting for it. I think it's about, I think it's going to happen. I, I, it stands to reason it will happen. But the other reason, like Minnesota last night, Vegas has been in this situation before. They've never, it's only four years. They've never closed anybody out at home. Every series they've won, they've won and closed out on the road. And they had the 3-1 lead against San Jose a couple years ago and threw the sink at Martin Jones, and Martin Jones beat him. And everybody's like, oh, Martin Jones stole the game. Well, 
now you go back and you think about it. Go, no, wait a minute. We keep watching this. You know, Martin Jones had a great game. There's no doubt about it. But again, it's Vegas. Tons of shots, but there. What's the quality of the shot? So one series done here in the Eastern Conference, and that's Boston over Washington. And are you surprised with, you know, how this series went? I mean, Boston just looked to be in control of of pretty much the whole thing. I mean, you know, when you kind of look at some of the advanced metrics and all that, it looks like it was a relatively close series. But, you know, when you kind of watch the games and sort of look at how things went, and also the advantage of Tuka Rask against the trio of goaltenders for the Capitals, it never really felt like Boston was in danger in this series at all. Well, one play decided the series. Um, you know, the way it started out, they're all, they always play one-goal games close, and you know, Boston got a late goal, then they got an overtime goal from Marshawn in the one game. But the killer was the overtime game where Samsonov was playing great, and it was just a simple dump in, and everybody was blaming Samsonov for this, and it was not him. He, the puck comes around behind the net. He stops the puck behind the net, and there's no defenseman there. So he's like, do I shoot it around the glass? Or then he looks, and Schultz is coming. So he leaves it there for the defenseman, and Schultz is turning around looking over his shoulder like because he's, he's worried about getting hit or what. It's overtime. Go get the puck. Just get in there and move the puck. And then Samsonov goes to get back in the net. The puck gets stolen by Smith. He wraps around and puts it in. I mean, that was on the defenseman. But that was like ripping – washing its heart right out of their chest. Basically, the series was over right there. So the team that will play Boston, still playing here, the Islanders and the Penguins. And speaking of goaltender mishaps, and as you said, that one not really on Samsonov. Uh, last night, Tristan Jari, I, I, I don't know how he comes back from that one. In double overtime, the Islanders take a 3-2 series lead. Now the Islanders go back home for game six on Wednesday night. Well, you've got this one pretty much a money line pick them, a toss up both ways, mostly minus 105 on each side out there in the marketplace. Uh, does Pittsburgh bounce back from what happened in game five or will the Islanders advance? Uh, I'm going to stick with what I said yesterday on the radio show. I, said, I thought the Islanders were going to win game five on the road. And I thought Pittsburgh could win game six on the road. This series just looks like it should go seven. So I would, I would actually go Pittsburgh's way. And Yari, yes. That was hideous, stupid. Uh, it's a roller coaster ride with this guy. He's either really good or really bad. Islanders have great goaltenders. And I honestly, if it, I think the road team wins the next two games. I think Pittsburgh can win, and then I think the Islanders could go on the road and win game seven. It's that kind of series. Which is interesting, too, because the Islanders 21-4-3 at home during the regular season, only 11-13-4 on the road. But they do play just in general – that road style of playoff hockey. They play a lot of low scoring games. They kind of bottle up the neutral zone, don't allow a whole lot in transition. So no matter what matchup we get coming out of that division here in the East, where, you know, you have Boston playing the winner of this Pittsburgh and Islanders series, two very different types of teams that Boston has to prep for here. And, you know, the one other thing too is, you know, it's the end of the old barn and that's a loud building of Nassau County Coliseum. It's no, it's 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 literally it's razor thin trying to separate these two. It's offense versus defense, but it's helping the Islanders out that Yari's running so hot and cold. But there's a, the Islanders are a better version of the Minnesota Wild. I mean, I don't think there's an ounce of quit in those guys. Um, 
If, if it's the Islanders in Boston, they better make the totals four and a half. We've had two really good playoff series here so far in the Central Division. Game five tonight between Nashville and Carolina. Carolina about a dollar ninety favorite as this series goes back to Raleigh. Um, you know, look, I understand that everyone's got kind of different opinions on attendance and capacity, and you know what's kind of still lingering around with COVID. But I gotta say, Brian, I mean, the atmosphere at Bridgestone Arena for those two Nashville overtime wins, I brought tears to my eyes because it was just. It was so great to see, so great to hear that crowd reaction. Great to see the players' reactions. This has been a great series. It's been a hell of a lot of fun. Is Nashville being disrespected here in Game 5, being this big of a dog? Um, no, I think that that's a reasonable number, to, to be honest. With you. I think there have been numbers that have been really, really inflated, overinflated. This one, I think, merits it. Carolina is a really good team. I think Carolina is capable of winning the Stanley Cup. But I've said forever, I've probably said it to you a hundred times since we've been doing stuff together. I th- I believe this. The first round is the hardest one to win. I mean, a lot of good teams are on the golf course going, what happened? Why, you know, why, why, why did we lose? You're getting everybody as fresh as they can possibly be. A team like Carolina, they're facing a team like Nashville who – push their way to come in and listen you got to give the preds credit i I think carolina the the one question to a degree always we said with them would be goaltending but they're they're built to make a run but it's the kind of team that can the banana peel could be there in the first round i I mean i want to say carolina tampa will be great but look at florida they're you know (laughs) they're, they're not going quietly into the night either the one thing i would say to you in this game tonight, I wouldn't I wouldn't go anywhere near laying that kind of number. But three of the four have, have gone over the total, and the, the pace of play in these games, I, I just don't see any reason to think that wouldn't be the case again tonight, that we'd be seeing a lot of goals. Yeah, the other series there, it seemed like Florida was definitely on the ropes. I mean, they've gotten very poor goaltending for the most part throughout this series. Spencer Knight lets in the first shot he faces in game five. And then made, what, 36 saves, I think? 36 unanswered saves. And Florida winds up winning that game 4-1 to last night. And, you know, we talked about it with Tampa Bay. I know we talked about it a little bit on your show last week on my Thursday appearance where it's so sickening that Tampa Bay is this really good team. And then you face them in the playoffs, and all of a sudden, Stamkos and Kucherov come back. And both of those guys have been very, very good in this series overall. Florida finally shuts them down a little bit in Game 5. But... Knights seem to provide the spark that the Panthers needed. What are you expecting here from game six on Wednesday? Well, I'm not going to dismiss Florida. They showed me a lot, the getting going to Tampa and making sure they got the series to get back home and then staying alive, being a cornered rat and getting the job done. They're a very, 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 very good team. Tampa's only laying a dollar fifty. I mean, you have to believe Tampa's approaching this like it's game seven, right? They don't. The last thing they want to do is go to Florida for a, a game seven. If you're looking at a number that that's shocking, I think the if Carolina merits a two dollar favorite against Nashville, Tampa Bay should be a dollar eighty, a dollar ninety in this spot against Florida. So that number's low. That number's the odds makers are telling you that they're believers in Florida. I think sort of the follow-up question here is, you know, Andre Vasilevsky played extremely well 
in the first four games of this series. Not that he played bad last night, but, you know, kind of got overshadowed by the rookie and Spencer Knight. That's kind of the question that I have here is, yeah, Spencer Knight was great and Florida needed it badly because their other two goaltenders had not played well. But do you really want to put a lot of stock in that kid to come back and have another huge performance here on the road against this Tampa Bay team? That would be my worry. You know, we talk all the time about goaltenders stealing games. Talbot last night, Hellebuck basically stealing the whole series for Winnipeg in that sweep. You know, you kind of look at that situation here and wonder, Knight versus Vasilevsky in another elimination game? That's why I do think that Tampa Bay price probably is a little bit low. I think it's low, but the one thing I would say, um, listen, this kid's only 20 years old, but he was drafted 13th overall. I mean, he's a franchise goalie. He was by a mile the best goalie coming out of a draft. And you're sitting there going, wait, let me get this right. You just signed Bobrovsky to a a $10 million a year deal for a millennium, and you draft this guy. Like, what are you doing? Well, they could be glad they did it right now, but the big picture is beyond belief. What do you do with with your goaltenders because that contract – with Bobrovsky's unmovable, but we've seen young goalies like Bennington come out of nowhere and go on a run. I, I, I think the kid's capable of having having another great game. I that kind of doesn't scare me. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you're too young to know what you're doing or be fearful of what you're doing, and it's it's an opportunity being presented to the kid. Honestly, I don't. I would say there's no pressure on the kid at all. I think you know he's coming in here playing with house money. Does it matter to you at all that, you know, he's played on the big stage in the World Juniors, was just a gold medalist for for Team USA there in the World Juniors here earlier on in 2021, you know, played some big games at Boston College. Does that matter to you? I mean, is is the NHL stage just that grand that some of those experiences don't matter? Or, you know, is that a big thing for you where, you know, he's played at the highest levels that he pretty much can, you know, in his lead up to being an NHL goaltender? Does that experience, you know, give you more confidence in somebody like that? Yeah, I mean, I pay attention to the World Juniors and, and things of that ilk, but but clearly, just from the central scouting and everything, I mean, clearly this kid had been tabbed for a long time to be, you know, goaltenders are not drafted in the first round. You know, he was he went thirteenth overall. You know, goalies, I mean, a high pick for a goalie is a third or the fourth round. Goalies, goalies take a long time to develop. You know, you know most goalies that are drafted. They end up, you know, plodding their course in the AH juniors. Then they go to the AHL for two years. And even if you got out of the AHL in a year and a half, two years, you're ahead of the curve. This kid was just pegged as a star, as a, as a franchise goalie, that he is the exception, you know, to that rule. But he's, for a long time, everybody said he's a can't-miss goaltender. So, no, I, he's a good goalie. I'm, yes, I mean, he's in the deep end of the pool against a monster team. But I, I, it's a fun story to watch. I'm, I'm not, I just wouldn't rule him out to, to be capable of – look what McCarr did. You know, when Kale, remember Kale McCarr came out of college and he went to the abs and he was like, my God, look at this kid. I mean, he was like the best player in the playoffs right out of college. It can be done. Well, make sure you tune into Vegas Hockey Hotline every day and get some more NHL thoughts from Brian. And, of course, Stevie Slapshot does a great job on that show as well. 
Brian, let's transition over to the golf side of things here. And, and I want to go back a little under a year to last year's Charles Schwab Challenge at Colonial. I remember it like it was three seconds ago. I had a burger. Go ahead. I mean, this was a seminal moment for golf, especially from a yeah. betting standpoint, because we had virtually nothing going on. You know, NASCAR was racing a couple times a week. They were kind of getting back at it. But this was, you know, a couple months or so, maybe two and a half, three mm-hmm. months into the COVID-19 pandemic, everything shut down and we get the return of the PGA Tour. And it was a great tournament, a good playoff with Berger and Morikawa, lots of drama. It brought a lot of people to these golf betting markets. And now I think golf is more popular than ever. And especially in this betting context that you and I operate in, you know, I mean, it's amazing how things have changed in a year in in so many other ways, but especially here now to go back to colonial with all of this momentum that golf has nationally, Mm -hmm. internationally, and of course in the betting community, Uh, I'll never forget, you know, that moment and and watching that golf tournament and just seeing so many people getting turned on to this sport in this league. If memory serves, I think the first thing back was an MMA fight. And then it was colonial and NASCAR and horse and horse racing. That was it. That's what we had going last summer and or last spring and the colonial tournament it was like, okay, this is going to, we got to, how do we handicap this? We got to watch this. The thing I was excited about was, okay, there are no fans there. And honestly, Sunday was so great with the fans. And it's like, hey, golf to me officially was back this week with the crowd noise and the roars and that, that kind of thing. But the course would play the way the course is meant to be played with no gallery there instead of hitting it you know, five feet wide of the green and it goes into the gallery and the guy gets an easy chip up and down. The thing's going to hit a side mound and bounce 30 yards off the green and the guy'd be short-sighted, you know, because there were no fans there. So it was a thing to look forward to and watch. But the tournament itself, um, it was more cow kind of had it in the cookie jar. And then Berger came back and Berger birdied 18. They went to the playoffs and Morikawa missed about a two-and-a-half-footer to extend the playoff. And the short putts are Morikawa's bugaboo, but to his credit, he used that and didn't pout, and he went on to have a great year and eventually won the PGA Championship. But if you watch Morikawa now, he's still, every time you look at him, he's got a different putting stroke. But Berger, Berger that set him on his way for a great summer last year. The one guy that I would just say it maybe gets lost in the shuffle was, and I don't have it in front of me. And it was either he shot 60. I think he had a putt for 63, a pretty short putt for 63 on Sunday, Kokrak, and he missed it. And I, he had a chance to make the playoff, but he was just throwing darts and he missed the putt. I'm like, it's like, it's like, he's okay. I missed the putt. And he just walked off the course. I'm like, Buddy, do you realize you just had a chance to win? But don't sleep on Kokrak in this tournament. And Kokrak eventually went on and won a tournament out here in Vegas later that year. So, you know, Berger, Morikawa, you look at those guys. The guy in amongst the favorites is playing really well. And I think it's high time the guy wins his answer. Abraham answers playing really good golf. Amongst the favorites in the 20-to-1 range, I would look at him. 
I would think you got to take a peek at Kokrak, but the last time he played there, he was throwing darts and he hits it a mile. And I'm taking a peek at a guy whose game is pretty close. Kucher at 60 to one is a big overlay. Kucher should be about 30 to 35 to one to me. And they got him posted here at 60 to one. I think Matt Kucher's a, a pretty decent price play this week. Yeah, as we take a look at Colonial here, kind of looking at this course, par 70, about 7,200 yards. Distance isn't as important here as it is at a lot of events. This is kind of a tighter course, tighter fairways, dog legs, you know, some interesting angles at the pins, all of that. Big emphasis at this course on iron and wedge play. So that was really important. Not surprising to see Morikawa and Berger, two dudes who are absolutely elite with their irons, wind up in this playoff last year. Uh, the guys I'm looking at this week, answer is one of them. It is a very, very short price, but he shot, what, seven under on Sunday at Kiowa Island? But he, he does it every week. Phenomenal final round. He's been really, really good. Third straight top 10 here for him. Uh, second at the Wells Fargo, fifth at the Valspar. Also a good putter, and you've got to be a good putter to win here too because when you look at the guys who have won this recently, Kevin Na, good putter. Uh, Justin Rose, pretty good putter. You know, you've seen some guys that have done really well with the flat stick that also do well with the irons. Kevin Kisner is a past winner here too. So I like answer this week. I know it's a short price there at 17 to one, but I like him. Also like Corey Connors. I mean, Corey Connors is a guy that, yeah, he can go long off the tee, but his iron play, his strokes gained approach looks really good this year. And he's figuring it out with the putter. You know, last year, last season, he was not a good putter at all. And that was really his bugaboo over the last couple of years. This year, he's pretty much a slightly above average putter. And that's a huge step up for a guy who's as good tee to green as he is. So not really getting too frisky with this tournament, not really taking too many long shots. I like answer and Connors. And, and I do think that one of the lower prices does win this week, Brian. Yeah, well, the the one thing I would say is golf's in a great place. I mean, there's a lot of guys, I mean, that are capable of, hey, this is the week, and I mean, Carlos Ortiz is 110 to 1, you know, Kisner's 100 to 1, Poulter 90 to 1. Um, there are guys that are capable of, how about, here's another guy, he's a birdie machine, but he, you know, can never close the deal, but he's a Texas guy. Am I, I am I right? Is, is Ryan Palmer not a member here? Actually, now that I think uh, about is, it, I, 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 I think this is I the think course I, he's a member. Or is it uh or is it the one I, in Houston? I think it's here, actually, now that I think about it. Absolutely. And the 75 to 1. Uh, you know, he, he never kicks the door down, but I'm pretty sure. Can we, we'll sing a show tune or something? I'll look it up. No, I, I remember last year when it came back. When they came back, that Ryan Palmer hosts all this charity and foundational stuff, and he's you know he's in good form, right? He's he's showing up all the time, and he's a member there. Knows every blade of grass. Uh, member Colonial. Come on, Google, help me out here. Yeah, Ryan Palmer, four top six finishes from twenty twelve to twenty nineteen here. So How whether he's this? a member or not, he plays well. All right, uh, one for the little guy. It's amazing, buddy. I don't know what I did five minutes ago. But the things sports-related I can remember are literally Palmer is a member at Colonial Country Club. 
and has likely played the course more than any other golfer in this week's field. He's never won the PGA Tour event at Colonial, although he's been in contention several times. He has four career top tens in this event, including a tie for sixth last year. 75 to one, too high. So yeah. I just talked. I just talked to myself. Hey, we just did this together. Kuchar to and uh, uh, Ryan Palmer and answer for me. Kuchar, past runner up here too, uh, by the way. So he has played well here in the past. Also in that discussion of good putters, I forgot to mention Jordan Spieth, who has won here, and he is the tournament favorite. I, but, you know, obviously a very good putter, and last year led the field in strokes gained putting at this event too. By the way, I'm mad at Jordan Spieth. I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Are you as mad at Jordan Spieth as Brooks Kepka is at Bryson DeChambeau? Have oh, you seen that it. video yet? I just, I just saw it this oh morning. That's God, a, it's awesome. He, he it's hates so his guts. <laughs> it's so <laughs> like, funny. That is funny. No, Spieth, you know the group matchups they put up uh, for the majors? I, I, like the Superbook in different places where they put a golfer in a group of four guys and they're all like plus 275 plus, you know, just to win the group of four. I do this in the majors every year. Just, just knock around, clown around. I got a $5 parlay. $5 parlay is paying $1,000, right? I got two two of the groups are in, in the cookie jar. I get to Sunday, and literally I'm like, well, the one I got I to gotta pull off is somehow, uh, well, I needed Billy Horschel, who did get it done, but I needed Rom to come from five shots back to beat DeChambeau in the final round, and he did. And and Spieth was leading his group by like two, and Morikawa shoots four under, and Spieth and Ricky Fowler have the get along guy gang like they were on a yacht out, you know, on a summer vacation. And Spieth Spieth shoots fifty four. I missed the fourteen parlay by a shot. Oh, oh, that's brutal. Good to see Ricky play well at least this weekend. Yep. Oh, I know you that's like nice Ricky. Uh, we got three events left before the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. By the way, the Charles Schwab Challenge this week. The Memorial right here in the Buckeye State next week. Then the Palmetto Championship at Congaree Golf Club, the lead up to the U.S. Open, a new event, uh, something of a mystery kind of course, I guess. So that should be a lot of fun here as we look ahead to the next major. Hey, do you know, I mean, Mickelson's listed here. He said he's playing. Okay. See, I, I saw his interviews after Sunday, and he was, they were talking about Torrey Pines. He said, oh, I'm going to take a couple of weeks off. I thought – I misconstrued that. I guess I thought he was saying, I'm going to take a couple of weeks off now, and then I'm going to go to Torrey Pines and start working. I guess he's playing, then taking a couple of weeks. So he's actually showing up here at 75 to 1. I guess he's showing up here hungover. I I don't blame him for that. I, I was telling somebody yesterday, you could have given me $100 to bet on 100 different golfers at the PGA. Phil would not have been one of them. I mean, good for I, him. but he I almost did it Friday night. I, I really did. He was still fifty to one on Friday night, and I I considered it. And I didn't do it, I, but it was great. It, it was it was spectacular uh, to see him pull that off. And honestly, I had that same feeling watching them him coming in that I had watching Tom Watson in the British Open. It's like, come on, you're there. You can do this. It's like you're trying, you're dragging them along. You're like, come on, man. And like on 17, I'm watching it with my wife, and I'm going, just hammer it into the bunker. You're the best bunker player in the world. He's making them and knocking them two feet from the hole, and he puts it in the fescue behind the guy. I'm like, oh, my God. It's like, 
it, but it, it was it was special. It, it it was one of those things when he knocked it in on five out of that sand area. You're looking like where is there a rainbow over him? I mean, it was just you, it was kind of there was a long way to go, but you had that there's there's something brewing here. It was fun. That was that was great to watch. Yeah, it absolutely was great theater to be sure. And speaking of great theater, we should have a lot of it on Sunday, especially if you're a motorsports fan. The Indy 500 is Sunday around lunchtime, obviously at Indianapolis Motor Speedway here. I am not an IndyCar guy, so I will give you the floor here, Brian. Tell us what you're looking for out of this year's 105th Indianapolis 500. I may surprise you here, but the Indy 500, and if I, if I get a call from friends say, hey, we're golfing Sunday, go, now nah, go have a nice day. The Indy 500 is one of my favorite events of the year. I mean, I, it's like... That's a thing I grew up with. I'll never forgive them. They destroyed IndyCar racing when they split factions and they went to the, you know, they had different factions in Indianapolis years ago. They, they And that's when NASCAR exploded. But the IndyCar circuit, when they get to the Indy 500, these guys are flat out all the way around. It's a driver's race. It's really great theater. And finally, the odds makers are giving this guy some respect because I've had him when he's won Takuma Sato's 18 to 1. And he's always, I think he won the first time at 50 to 1. He won the second time at 30 to 1. The guy that apparently has to be running very well because you always consider Tony Kanan, who doesn't do much during the year, but when you get to Indy, he's a very dangerous driver. Dixon's the big favorite here. But the, the thing is, the cars are so even. When you're running flat out, it, the 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 comparison, Adam, would be like Talladega or restrictor plate racing. When you watch the restrictor plate racing, the Benabet the Benedetto's always up there, uh, Reddick, other you know the the cars are even. It's the playing field's more uh, level when you get to restrictor plate racing with the draft, and that's what the Indy 500 is. You just get sucked along by another car, and you can slingshot by guys. It promotes incredible racing. So, I, and I think it's a, they do a great job covering it. So, I'm very much looking forward to it. I'll be playing Kanan and uh, Sato would be the guys I would look for. But but a price can a price can hit here. Like Will Powers an overlay at twenty eight to one is a guy you could take a look at. And it's actually it's a very big day for auto racing because I know we were talking about this before we went on. I said, well, so is the Charlotte race, the 600s later? It's like it's the big racing doubleheader. You get Indy, and in past years, uh, I know for a fact it, uh, Tony Stewart did it. There have been a handful of other guys, but racing the Indy 500, hop on a plane and race to Charlotte and, and race in the, in the Coca-Cola 600. So it's a great day of racing, doubleheader. Yeah, it definitely is. And let's go over to the NASCAR side of things here because we're finally back on a mile and a half track. First time since Kansas, only the second time since the race down at Atlanta uh, much earlier on in the year. And you know, when you look at this race at Charlotte Coca-Cola 600, because it's the one and a half mile track, the usual suspects here, Truex, your plus 450 favorite, Elliott six to one, Larson six to one. Elliott gets the win last week in that rain shortened race at Course of the Americas. And it's been a little bit disappointing for NASCAR this season that the Bristol dirt race didn't really work out as they had hoped yesterday's race on the new course in Austin on that formula one type of layout, it rained all day long. So they were kind of racing a little bit of rain and all of that. But 
I feel like a lot of drivers probably happy to get back on the mile and a half track this week, Brian. That race Sunday was insane. I mean, that was dangerous, man. They're lucky that something really bad didn't happen. You're going 170 miles an hour down a front stretch and you can't see three feet in front of you. I mean, I get racing in the rain or whatever, but that was, that was dangerous, man. That they're lucky they got out of Dodge there without anything really bad happening. That was a goofy race. Yeah, it absolutely was. But again, now we get back to this mile and a half and you know, we're going, uh, we're going 600 miles here for this one. So 400 laps, big time feature, Pretty much this race is going to be closed under the lights. And that's something that's important to consider here too, is that it's probably going to be pretty damn hot in Charlotte around the time this thing starts at six, but it will cool down as the race goes along. This race is going to be every bit of four and a half hours probably. So, you know, the drivers will have a lot of different temperatures to kind of deal with as the night goes along. So tire wear will be important. Pit crews will be important. All of that type of thing. Anybody stand out to you here with any of the prices that we're looking at? I'm trying to find a bomb, and the one guy I'm taking a slight peek at as a big price with a 600-mile race, and I'm just trying to see what he's done at Charlotte. Maybe an outside peek at a guy like Kurt Busch, you know, trying to see if he can hit the home run in this race, and he's a big number uh, a, you know, Kyle Bush is eight to one. Well, how often is Kyle Bush winning? But he's good in the 600. Bush is like 66 to one. Would be a guy, maybe I, I'd take a little flyer at, like a, a big, big number. But it's it's probably going to be chalky. I mean, you're sitting here. This is the rub, but when you get into it, you get Truex at six, Elliott, Hamlin, Larson at seven, Logano, Kyle Bush or at eight, and then Kozlowski at nine. I don't know why they keep making Kevin Harvick nine to one. I mean, I mean, we've been fading him since the season started. Blaney's a bit of an overlay at ten to one. Maybe maybe Blaney of the the price guys. Yeah, I like Blaney a little bit here too. You know, Penske's done pretty well here in this race recently. Had the Brad Kozlowski win last year. Uh, that was a race that was broken up over a couple of days. I think that was because of weather. Uh, but, you know, Blaney always has a fast car, you know, and, and now that he doesn't have to worry about, you know, twists and turns and the road course stuff and all that, now it's just an oval. You know, now it's just something that he's very comfortable with racing on. Did have the win at Atlanta on the mile-and-a-half track earlier on this year. So I agree with you. I think Blaney is a pretty good look here in this one. And even somebody like a Keslowski, where, you know, he really hasn't run all that well here this season. Hasn't done super well on kind of the gimmicky types of tracks, but on the ovals, you know, second at Vegas, fourth at Phoenix, had the win at Talladega. Obviously, they're kind of bunched up a little bit there. Third at Kansas. He's run well on the traditional types of NASCAR tracks. So I think Blaney and Keselowski are the two for me this week. You know, the watch, I'm telling you, watch the Indy 500. And then the winner of the Indy 500 could point you in the direction you'll have a little time between races because Penske's always dominant and has like, you know, usually Penske's got three of the top flight contenders and is always one of the favorites for Indy. If Penske wins at Indy, you look for a Penske car at Charlotte. Uh, the other guy used to be Ganassi, right? Uh, <laughs> but 
Anyway, the indie thing could point you to the right direction for Sunday after that's over. Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Brian, how can people find these two shows? Uh, the Twitter at Brian Blessing. We get the links for all the stuff there, but we are on the Sports Grid Radio Network Series 204 from 2 to 4 Eastern. Weekdays, Adam joins us on Thursdays. Uh, great guests, sportsbook directors, uh, handicappers, get you covered on both sides of the counter. Locally at KSHP.com, we do Vegas Hockey Hotline. Great guests from around the hockey world. And it's a great time of year talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I'm uh, pretty excited about that. And we love talking hockey each and every day. If you're a hockey fan, I think you really like that. Good stuff. Oh, absolutely. Good stuff for sure. We got a video over on our ATS YouTube page of this week at Colonial, the Charles Schwab Challenge. Brian's going to do a video for us on the Indy 500 as well. So keep an eye out for that over on our ATS YouTube page. But Brian Blessing, Sportsbook Radio, Vegas Hockey Outline, at Brian Blessing on Twitter. Always hey, a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. But I'm telling you right now, put a couple of bucks on Ryan Palmer. I'm going to put a couple of bucks on Ryan Palmer. If Ryan Palmer wins, we handicapped it live on the podcast. Like out of nowhere, two idiots were talking on this podcast. And we're like, wait a minute. Don't forget about Ryan Palmer. So if Ryan Palmer wins this thing, you got to clip the play for the rest of our lives. Two idiots. Was there a third person on this show? I'm sorry. All right. If you put two half wits together, you get a full wit. How's that? Okay. I'll take it. A lot of wit on this show, as always. (laughs) Brian, appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Adam. All right. There you go. There's Brian Blessing again, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Outline. Follow him on Twitter at Brian Blessing. Coming up on Thursday, new edition of the Betters Box, my solo MLB betting podcast. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again on Thursday.